Welcome to the Great Trials Podcast, where you get a behind-the-scenes look at America's greatest trials with the trial lawyers who tried them. Being able to do all those calculations in your brain in that, you know, whatever 30 seconds that you have, I think that's what makes trial so exciting and so terrifying at the same time. Please rise. Court is now in session. All right. Well, welcome to the Great Trials Podcast. This is Steve Lowry along with Yvonne Godfrey. Yvonne, how are you doing this afternoon? I'm I'm good. It's it's I'm feeling a little crazy. Like if I in the middle of this, if I start talking about privilege logs or something that has nothing to do with what we're talking about, somebody yeah. just warn me. <laughs> well, I, I, I've been I, I I know exactly what you're saying. I I've been uh, preparing for a products deposition of an expert tomorrow. So if I start talking about a, a flame failure device, or something like <laughs> yeah. that, you know, uh, yeah. what I'm talking about. Yeah, but uh, we've got a, well, we've got a lot of good stuff to talk about today. A very you know, great two fantastic lawyers. Uh, uh, but before we get to them, I'm going to uh, make a couple of announcements. One is that, uh, as everybody knows, we have two fantastic sponsors, uh, Digital Law Marketing and Legal Technology Services, both of whom are uh, just fantastic companies, and we uh, really want you to go check them out. But Legal Technology Services has changed their website name. And so now if you want to look up Legal Technology Services, you go to LegalTechService.com. So that's... Uh, uh, legal tech t e c h service uh, no s dot uh, com. So uh, and tell uh, Bob and Melanie we said hello when you go check them out. But um, uh, two fantastic companies. We highly encourage you to uh, to check them out and uh, and if you can give them some business. I think you'll be pleased with them. Um, the other thing I was going to say, Yvonne, is that uh, I don't know if you noticed, but we just got our 100th rating and review uh, on, no, um, on I Apple Podcasts. And we actually got two really nice reviews, which, you know, uh, I, I uh, completely follow what everybody says about me. So when I get a one star rating, it, it puts me <laughs> in the dumps. When I get a five star rating, I just feel great. So uh, we got when, two really when, good ones. So I felt good. When you get a five star rating, you're really just questioning why it wasn't six. Yes, Tell the yes. truth. Hey, if there's, Tell the if truth. there's a way they can do six, I would, I would appreciate a six star rating. <laughs> Uh, well, that's good to hear. No, I don't look. Unlike you, I can't bear to look at the reviews <laughs> or or listen to the podcast. Uh, and we are closing in on 100,000 downloads. We're not far away, but uh, awesome. We'll, awesome. we'll make an announcement when that Good news. You, you had a lot of housekeeping, uh, exciting announcements today. I know. It's. A, I mean, this is the way you draw people into the podcast is you <laughs> yeah. just start announcing stuff like that. <laughs> yeah. Good stuff. Well, should we should we get to uh, what we're actually here about today? Yes. Yes. Let's get to our two fantastic trialers who who also we, we are going to talk about this uh, a little bit as well. Also, both played competitive sports at a very, very high level. So uh, we want to talk about that as well. Yeah, we've got real. Um, I was trying to think of like a different version of like judge attorney, a judge, judge advocate general, whatever JAG stands for. You know, we've got like lawyer, <laughs> lawyer, athlete. Scholars. That's right. Uh, That's right. But both really cool backgrounds. So we're going to tell you a little bit about them. But first, let's start by just telling you um, their names and that they're here. Um, so we have Taylor Rayfield and Tobin Lanzetta on the show. You guys, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you so much for having us. Uh, we're Great so to be excited. Here. Thank you. And I just can we just I just want to stop and talk about privilege laws for a little bit, if that's OK. <laughs> that's right. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Great. I have let's, be, let's just start out. 
Yeah. Let's get right into what the people really want. Privilege log discussion. Yeah, because they definitely don't want to talk about my athletic career because that is long (laughs) behind me. And the thought of doing anything athletic anymore makes me sad. Oh. Oh. Um, I was really excited to see that. Um, But so we'll we'll start with you. Taylor. And, and, and can we, can I just add in here, Yvonne, didn't you play uh competitive volleyball? I, this, this, I, is there, I think there's a match. I think there's a, a match coming up here. So <laughs> this is my fear that this is going to come up right. that my illustrious career in division three volleyball was going to come up. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> I, I set some records of my own, Steve. And that was, <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> that was for the number of games played because my freshman year, we only had seven people on the team and six people are out there at a time. Right. So, right. um, I did not have a sub. So, but I don't know why I'm bragging about myself. I should be bragging about Taylor. So, so let's go there. But thank you. Thank you so much, Steve, for, yeah. for bringing that up. Uh, Taylor is a trial lawyer at Manley Stewart Finaldi um, in Irvine, California. They've got offices um, on East Coast and West Coast. Um, you can look Taylor up at manleystewart.com. That's M-A-N-L-Y. Stewart is S-T-E-W-A-R-T.com. So as we've kind of alluded to, um, Taylor's a real Renaissance woman. She's gotten tons of awards. She's been a multi-time super lawyer, rising star. She's shaking her head at me that like she wants this to stop. And little does she know it's just started. That's right. <laughs> uh, she's also top 100, been named top 100 up and coming Southern California lawyers, which I feel like is just really cool. Um, top 50 women Southern lawyers in California. She serves on the board of governors for AAJ. Um, She played varsity volleyball at UNC um, and then went to Loyola for law school. And one of the really cool things about Taylor, so I was, I was not sure I picked like a, a really awesome fun fact and then a fact that I'm not really sure what it means. So Taylor, I think this is so awesome. She's really dedicated to helping survivors of sexual assault and abuse. And she's even gotten her certificate in trauma advocacy, um, which is just so awesome. It's so important. It's it's a um, difficult area of the law. And, you know, we all feel like sometimes we become free th- therapists for our clients. Um, but in that area, I can't even imagine. So Taylor, that's awesome. And then you also got an award. And I was like, is this a typo or is this <laughs> what it was called? The... 2018 Street Fighter of the Year Award. Tell Can you tell us about that? Yeah, that's from um, CAOC. So um, Consumer Attorneys of California. It's the California Plaintiffs Trial Lawyer Association. And um, yeah, it was. it's called the Street Fighter <laughs> Award. And so it's for, I think it's for anyone who has less than maybe five people in your firm or something like that, or if you've been practicing for under 10 years. And so mine was because I'd been practicing under 10 years. And so, yeah, it was for one of the sexual abuse cases that I did a couple of years ago. So That's yeah, it was, it was pretty fun. It was, it was really, <laughs> you know, nice to, you know, be able to be recognized and, and just for me to be able to talk a little bit more about sexual abuse and just, you know, remind people that, you know, it's not just young women, it's men, it's women, it's all sorts of genders, identifications, you know, so it's not just a, you know, man, woman type of um, claim. So it was, it was a fun evening, you know, can't, yeah, can't <laughs> yeah, well, such important work and uh, such a badass title to go with it. Yeah, uh, that's Street a great Fighter award. Of the year. <laughs> yeah. um, Thank you. 
So Taylor, I'm now your, your torture is over. I'll stop talking about you and I'll move on to Tobin, another successful trial lawyer, or as I've called them now, lawyer, lawyer, athlete, scholars, um, devoted to public safety. And he's done some really cool stuff. Tobin's a partner at um, Green Broilet and Wheeler LLP. And you can look him up at gbw.law. Um, so Tobin's done all kinds of stuff in catastrophic injury, wrongful death, brain injury, product liability, heavy machinery, um, all the really easy, all the really easy areas of practice where it's right. just kind yeah. of, you know, same <laughs> thing over and over again. Um, another super lawyer, rising star many times. Um, he graduated from Santa Clara University and got his law degree at University of San Diego. Um, and as I mentioned, another athlete played baseball for the Montreal Expos and the LA Dodgers organizations. Very cool. It's not, it's no division three um, volleyball yeah, that's in, right, yeah. at Rhodes not, College, not, Steve. Not, but. not quite the prestige of the Rhodes College. What, what, <laughs> what was Rhodes? What was their, uh, their mascot? Oh, the, the Lynx. The Lynx, or as, yes. Or as we call them, the Lynx Cats, even <laughs> the, though... Yeah, that, that's like an oxymoron, I, I think. I'm sure you remember back when the Tar Heels and the Lynx Cats uh, matched up with volleyball. <laughs> huge, huge. <laughs> Very competitive. I yeah. mean, ESPN was there. Yeah. <laughs> um, anyway, um, and Tobin has, has in, been involved in a lot of really cool verdicts. Um, one is he was named one of the 2016 California Consumer Attorneys of the Year for the Aaron Andrews case against Marriott, $55 million verdict. And Tobin, I was hoping you could tell us a little bit more actually about this um, farmer's market thing, because I feel like right. those of us that are kind of like inland always picture California people at beautiful farmer's markets. But tell us a little bit about what you accomplished with, with in this area. Yeah, that was a tragic accident in 2003. Santa Monica Farmer's Market, which is just directly outside of our office building, literally steps away. Um, and frankly, we could have had some of our employees down there. Luckily, we didn't. Um, it was just an errant older driver who lost control, had accelerator instead of brake, blows through the market, ends up killing 10, 12, 15 people. There are 60 people injured. Oh, wow. Um, and it, and it was a real fight. And it, it wasn't, I mean, it was our firm, it was a number of firms. I mean, it was a group effort. But at the end of the day, the really important thing that came from it was that the city installed these uh, barriers that go up during the market and protect the millions and millions of visitors that come to Santa Monica each year to go specifically to that market. And uh, I mean, I'm really proud of what we did as a firm and what the group did collectively, because I think it's really, it's one of those times where you really can see a change and a difference from the work that you did. Yeah. Yeah, that's fantastic. Yeah. yeah, that's huge. You don't get that a lot. And to be able to go by there or I guess look across the street and see that now, see the effect of your work must be really awesome. Very yeah, cool. Yeah, rewarding. Well, um, so let's talk a little bit about the case we're here um, to talk to you all about today, the verdict that you got. And I, Steve, I was really excited to read about this case for a few reasons. Um, but I feel like this is a case that's like, um, especially for newer lawyers, it's got, it kind of checks all the boxes. Like you've mm -hmm. got sort of tough legal issues that, that I would imagine were a big summary judgment fight. You've got issues you really need to dig into with the jury on Vordire. Cause I, you know, anyway, we'll get into all oh, that absolutely. stuff, but I absolutely. just, you've got an injury that a lot of people don't understand, or at least aspects of it that people don't understand. So, um, that's kind of a sneak preview into what we're talking about. But um, so the case is Delia Flores versus Converge One Inc. 
um, among others. This was one of the top 50 personal injury verdicts in California in 2019. Um, so I'm going to tell our listeners a little bit about the case, and then we're going to dig into it with Tobin and Taylor, and, and they can fix whatever I get wrong or if I start talking about privilege logs. Um, right. So Delia um, was a 58-year-old medical coder. And on October 12, 2016, at around 5.30, she was driving in a 2015 Toyota Camry eastbound on Edison Avenue um, in San Bernardino County, which is something that might mean something to some of our listeners. Obviously, I have no idea where that is. I did mean to Google map it, but I didn't. Um, But it's a two-lane road. Um, So she is driving. And meanwhile, there's another driver um, that is coming from the opposite direction, Louis Rochetti, Rochetti, Rochetti. Um, And I'm not, that that maybe sounded a little disrespectful towards Italians or Italian last names. I don't mean that. We're just not, I'm not exactly sure how to pronounce it. But anyway, he um, was driving the other direction in an Audi. and he was trying to, this is very familiar to me coming from a small town, but he was trying right. to pass a truck on a two on this two lane road. And so he's coming towards Delia and he basically doesn't make it. So he hits her head on. She suffers TBI and other catastrophic injuries, orthopedic injuries. I say, I said TBI because most of our listeners get it by now, traumatic brain injury. Um, so we'll dig into that. Um, so set up right now sounds like something that unfortunately happens fairly frequently, but one of the things that, that Taylor and Tobin really dug into this case, into this case, um, was the, um, was what Mr. Rochetti, what his status was, because he worked as an IT engineer for a company called Converge One. Um, And at the time of the accident, he was driving home from work. It's around 5.30. So there's kind of no dispute about that. But Taylor and Tobin proceeded with the case against the company, arguing that it was responsible for Delia's injuries for the the negligence um, that was committed by its employee. Now, again, that might be something that sounds sort of straightforward to people who maybe haven't dealt with it before, but that's not easy to do. You've got a general rule, which it sounds like most states have, sounds like California has, where in general, if somebody's going to and from work, um, to and from home, then that's not going to be somebody who's in the scope of their employment. That's not something that the employer is going to be on the hook for. Um, but, uh, Mr. Rochetti's job was, uh, a little bit different. It wasn't as clear cut. Um, he had a cell phone and a laptop from work. He was on salaried and he was an exempt employee, meaning he didn't get overtime. He might have to get called in after hours. I think all of us know what that's like. Um, and some of his responsibilities and his job description, including travel, he would occasionally have to, or was at least potentially going to have to go and visit clients. He did it kind of work. So, For anybody who's got IT services, sometimes you can't do stuff remotely and people need to physically come and help you with your IT issues. And when he did that, he would have to use his own car and he would have to get and he would get reimbursed for mileage and all this stuff. So um, one of the issues in the case, as everybody would expect, the defense would say, no, he was just coming home from work. His car had nothing to do with what happened. And we, he basically never had to travel anywhere. And we'll, we'll talk a little bit more about that. Um, but Taylor and Tobin were able to successfully argue that, um, I saw this referred to as both the, 
vehicle use exception or a required use exception. But it sounds like a, a creature of, of of statutory law in Georgia where, I mean, Georgia in California. <laughs> I wish we had this in Georgia. And um, here we are at privilege logs again. <laughs> I know, it's happening already. Um, it means I need to stop talking and I'm about to stop talking. Um but that there's an exception to this sort of coming and going rule if an employer has an requires an employee to basically have their vehicle available to do some part of their job. That's at least uh, my understanding of it, but we'll dig into it more. Um, so sounds like, uh, well, we know you all were able to survive su summary judgment on the issue. So that issue actually went to the jury, which I think is always interesting because it, it feels like a very legal issue, even though it can come down to a fact dispute. So the jury actually decided that issue among other issues, including if Mr. Rochetti was the, the, I guess, the primary cause or significant cause, if his negligence uh, was a significant cause of, of Delia's injuries, and then obviously the amount of the award. And Taylor and Tobin were successful. They got the jury to sort of understand these issues and, and the San Bernardino County agreed with them. And after what looked like only an offer of $250,000 um, before trial, they got a $2.6 million verdict. Um, and I'll, I'll do the breakdown now because I think, you know, we're going to talk about the injuries later. Um, that included past medicals of around 720000 past loss earnings of 80000 past pain and suffering of 450000 future medical expenses of 800000 future pain and suffering of over 550000 And, you know, we're going to talk about the injuries. That's These are tough things to establish and, and tough facts. I feel like tough facts for jury to get their arms around. So great work, Taylor and Tobin. And um, I'm going to stop talking after I ask you this question, which is, can you give our listeners, especially our, our listeners who um, don't practice in California, when this case comes into you or when you're digging into this case, you know, what is what is this landscape, especially with the um, the scope of employment issue? What does it really look like to you at the time? How much precedent do you have? You know, how are you feeling about how these things are actually going to shake out? Yeah, I mean, it's scary. Um, I mean, this case is on appeal now. Um, as we, the, I think the day before or two days before we had to argue the motion for summary judgment, a new case came down further narrowing the exception. So um, these cases are tough. They're not easy. Um, you know, when we started this, when we originally filed the case, we did not even name Converge One at the time. Um, so we went out and did a PMK deposition uh, to kind of see if there was any way to bring them in. And through doing that, realized that we thought we could bring them in. So, I mean, I don't know. I mean, uh, Tobin probably has similar feelings, but these are these are scary cases unless you've got something really obvious, like a, um, like a real estate agent or something like that, right. that clearly doesn't have, you know, really a place to go to work every day, that they're, they're pretty tough cases. Yvonne, uh, you know that the practice of law since the pandemic has started has completely changed. Completely changed. A lot more pajamas involved for me. 
Yes, yes, a lot more working from the computer. Yes, and only getting dressed from the uh, from the waist up. But you know who has helped that change and that transition immensely in our practice and can help everybody else in theirs is legal technology services. That's right. I mean, being good at doing things virtually, at doing things through Zoom, through video conference, online, it's more important now than ever. I'll say Zoom or WebEx or whatever you use now. Legal Technology Services has completely changed how they do things in order to get you organized, looking good. Our depositions, our hearings, our mediations have all changed. And a big part of that is because we do them all virtually and we're doing them with the help of Legal Technology Services. So they get our exhibits in order, um, you know, and you call up the exhibits by number. They'll highlight them, they'll enlarge them, they'll do whatever they want. And it actually flows really well. I do have to say, I think my depositions are more organized now than they were before the pandemic because I used to just walk in with like a giant box of documents and then I'd pull out the documents and go through them and uh, now I'm much more organized because of legal technology services. Yeah and I mean LTS I'm gonna I'm gonna call them LTS because we're on a first name basis (laughs) you know my favorite thing about them is that we work with them a lot their staff is really highly trained and you can always count on them to represent you well whether they're doing your trial tech technology when we have in-person trials one day, or if they're handling your depositions or they're doing settlement videos, other kinds of videos documenting stuff for you. You can always count on them to conduct themselves well. Clients like them, judges like them, courts like them, lawyers like them. Yeah, the one thing that I have to say is uh, when we're in trial, while I think we do pretty good in front of juries and hopefully they like us, they always like our trial techs, whether it's Bob, Taylor, Quentin, David, Liz, just any one of the people over there, they're all fantastic. And of course, Melanie, who runs the ship over there, but they do more than just exhibits. They do day in the life videos. They do settlement documentaries. They do demonstratives and everything they do is just excellent. And you can look them up at ltsatlanta.com. And I can say that if you call them and tell them that you heard about them on the Great Trials podcast, then you get 10% off of your first service. So look them up at ltsatlanta.com. And I do want to say, even though they're based in Georgia, they do work nationwide. And they, I know they've done trials all over the country. Uh, but look them up at ltsatlanta.com. One of the reasons I think I really got into this case is we recently had to, we had a trial where one of the the things the jury had to decide is whether our guy was an independent contractor or an employee. But they were, you know, just deciding everything at once. But it was a similar issue where you know, you get, it's, it, it feels legal and you're, and there's a lot of the law is changing and there are cases that seem to go both ways. Um, but then it's kind of a, it feels different when you actually, when it's an issue that you have to present to the jury. Um, yeah. And you know, what's interesting on that and Tobin and I, when we were talking to the jurors after they told us that they hated our case the whole time we did it. (laughs) And so, you know, it's like by the grace of God, when they finally saw the jury instruction that showed, you know, what those elements were that they were like, Oh, like, okay. They weren't just wasting our time. So even though like, I mean, you, you've had the, you know, pleasure of the super exciting, you know, voir dire that both Tobin and I did. um, But you could see where, those ideas that someone would be responsible 
for you driving to and from work, you would be, the company would be responsible. The jurors are like, no, no, they're not. Like, there's no way. And something that we talked about after, and I don't know how it works in other states. So in California, you only kind of instruct on kind of evidentiary issues, like evidentiary jury instructions at the beginning. And then your real substantive law jury instructions after, you know, the jury's heard the whole case. And this is a situation, and I think I would do this next time or in another similar case, where it might have been better if we had asked the court to pre-instruct on that issue. So they could have heard that instruction before we started down our rabbit hole. Because I wonder if it would have made them, you know, you always go, what if, you know, and would her emotional distress damages been different if they hadn't hated the case all along, you know what I mean? You start to kind of think about those things. Yeah. You wonder what they're, what they're primed for. If, if the whole time that they're, they're fixated on an issue that when they finally hear the instruction on the law, they're like, Oh, we get, we get why we're here. We get why we spent this time. Um, Then, you know, if they were primed for that, then maybe it would make them more receptive. I actually, um, really enjoyed reading that, um, the Vordire, because I felt like this is, this is one of those issues where people are going to have really strong opinions. You're going to have business owners in there who are thinking about whether they're on, on the hook for their employees. Like everybody's got a personal sort of association that they're thinking of immediately with this. Um, So can you all talk about a little bit about, you know, whether you focus group the case or how you decided to approach, um, approach these issues in Vordire for the people who, who didn't get to read the transcript like I did? Well, let me just go back to an issue too. I had a case that I tried with a partner of mine where we dealt with the vehicle use exception, this exact issue 15 years ago in Santa Monica. And it was a nonprofit business owner, got in an accident, hurt our client, and client didn't want it to go after the business. And so even though we had legal grounds to do that, and we did that, we'd go to trial and we ended up losing. And the facts were almost the same this year in terms of how they fit in terms of whether there was uh, the necessity for the vehicle to be available, um, whether it was part of the job that he's on. The same things fit. It was just how the jury dealt with it. So I could say personally, when we're coming into this case, and by the way, Taylor did 99% of the work. She worked up, she did a marvelous job. She's a fantastic trial attorney. And so all the credit should go to her. Um, but during Vaudier, we talked about it a lot and we knew that we had to address really head on without crossing over those boundaries. This is what the law may be, that his honor may instruct you if you hear this, how do you feel about it? And you're right, business owners, uh, you know, every person was like, this is ridiculous. Like, well, you, you can't be responsible for this. And Taylor and I were just like, but just wait, you know, there's going to be a surprise at the end because really it was one of those, we couldn't tell them this is the law, but we could say, but if it is like this. And so what was interesting is we had a really, really, who I thought was a phenomenal judge. He really, really read the law, um, really gave both sides um, the ability to try the case. But what was unique is he didn't strike a lot of people for cause. And we had a lot of people that could have been struck for cause very easily, but because that one issue about, can you find an employer responsible under this vehicle use exception? It sort of gave us that avenue to figure out who are the people that were going to sit there and at least 
give you a fair shot and do a critical analysis and wait at who is going to be more just we're done with you already. And so that it ended up sort of helping us during one year in a way that I wasn't really expecting. Yeah. yeah. Oh, sorry. I was just going to say we, um, on this one, Tobin and I kind of just felt really comfortable in what we were looking for in jurors in this case. Um, you know, we were really lucky in the sense that we weren't having to fight over a lot. I mean, she was in a head-on collision. I mean, the cars are, I mean, just, they speak for themselves. This is not where you've got that fender bender where like, there's no damage to the car. And here you are claiming that your client needs a completely new back surgery. Like, no, no, no. She, I mean, she was Humpty Dumpty. I mean, so we have all the scans to prove it and all that. So we weren't, you know, that wasn't like some nuanced issue that, you know, we're trying to get some juror. Okay. If you can't see an actual scan, are you going to believe our clients injured? So, you know, we didn't have that to worry about. And then we didn't have like the, the accident happened. There was, there was no dispute over that. So we felt really confident that we really had a narrow issue you know, you know, we were lucky. We didn't have a client that was on drugs. We didn't have, you know, all those other warts that we call in our cases that we're trying to overcome. We were lucky here that we had a narrow issue. So we felt really confident going into it, exactly what we were looking for. You know, you know, our HR people, no, thank you. Our business owners, no, thank you. Anyone who's just coming out the bat, like, oh, well, I drive to work every single day and no one ever helps me out when I get in. You know what I mean? Like, mm-hmm. kind of knew right away what we were looking for, which made Voidir really targeted. And um, I don't want to say easy, but I mean, it, you know, we, we weren't trying to navigate 10 different issues, so to speak. Yeah, I was going to point out, you know, it it makes sense. And I thought you did a great job, especially in the closing, Tobin, when you were telling the jury, you know, it's not your job to question the law and question whether or not the law is correct. You're just supposed to follow the law. And if, if, you know, somebody says, you know, I I just don't like this law, well, then you need to raise that and say, you know, that's not our job here. I I, I do have to wonder, because I've been in that situation where, you know, the whole Vladir panel sort of uh, is is uh, hostile to you, let's just say, and uh, into what you're saying, and and sometimes you know, and, and we've done it before, where we um, you know are doing it intentionally because we want to try and get as many people off for cause as we can, um, and so we want to get them talking, we want to get them saying you know all the negative stuff they think about our case, but. I, I have to say that after doing that for a day, I'm not exactly feeling like, you know, great about my jury. I'm just wondering how you guys are feeling after you take that, you know, and, and have a, and, and have everybody sort of be, you know, a, 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 you know, not understanding of your position, you know, in during voir dire. Yeah. I think that's what tequila is for. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> yeah. I, mean, I think that's when you leave the courthouse that day and, you pour one out and you just go, well, let's hope for the best. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Were you expecting the the court to hopefully give you a little bit more challenges for cause, or, you know, and, and the court just wasn't willing to go that way, wanted to leave most people on? Yeah. I mean, Tobin, what did you think? I mean, you know, I think we kind of talked about it and there was a couple that we were a little bit shocked that he didn't give us, but I think that... Tobin and I are both so jaded that 
to be honest, to get any cause challenges, like you just right. kind of take it as a win and leave, you know, but, and just try to make your record. But I don't know, Tobin, what, what did you think? Yeah. I mean, I, there was one gentleman in particular who was a, essentially a risk manager for a, a group of cities. I mean, his job was to literally deny claims yeah. or I mean, rephrase that, evaluate claims and then decide to deny them. Um, yeah. And he straight out told us, look, I don't, I think most plaintiffs are full of BS. I don't, I don't believe in these things. I can't believe that my, my employees would be responsible for driving home. Like he was just like, no, no, no. And he's just like, this is not the right case for me. And to me, I was like, you know, okay. But the judge was just like, no. And I, that was a function of the judge wanted things to move in an expeditious manner, didn't want to waste time. And I get that. And also getting jury panels and people there is just always difficult. Um, so that was the one issue. But what I will say is that in terms of actual jury selection, when you, especially with these many people that are against you, it's not a damages issue. It's just a law issue. You know, it's finding those people that are going to be more critical thinkers, that are going to take yeah. a pause, that aren't going to shoot from the hip. You know, and it's finding, you know, like there was one woman, I remember Taylor, maybe you remember, who was an employee of the government, but she dealt as an exempt employee with these driving issues. And so we knew, we thought she would understand and be able to, to teach the rest of the jury about this is what exempt means, right? This is what this means. And she ultimately did. I mean, Taylor told you, we talked to the jury afterwards, they were 12-0 against us, 12-0. And in California, you just need not, you need nine on a question. And, but right. once they heard the law, we're like, oh, okay, now we get it. But it was because of us being really methodical about, you know, maybe they're not going to be great on damages, but they're at least going to, they're going to listen to us. And that's always, that's been the most critical thing, at least for this case, it was. Yeah. One thing you, uh, I, I noticed, it, you guys tried this case in a very efficient, straightforward manner. And I, I'm sure the jury appreciated that. But talk a little bit about how you kind of built your case that this was, you know, somebody who was, uh, you know, uh, the um, uh, an exception to the coming and going rule. And, and, um, and you know, I mean, because I, I like the, some of the things that you did that I, I, like to do is, you know, you get a, a good corporate representative in the bag, play them first out of the box, you know, tell them this is what you're going to hear. Then you put up the, uh, the at fault driver who by that point, I think you all had settled with, um, and, um, and then, you know, and just had him, you know, give his elements. But, and then, and then of course I did think it was interesting that Converge One didn't bring anybody uh, to trial. So then you got to tell the jury, we're the only ones that brought somebody from Converge One, which, you know, um, it, maybe the defense didn't think they needed to do that, but I mean, juries, I don't think really understand why you wouldn't bring your own people to trial. Yeah. You know, every now and then you get a gift, uh, you know, and I mean, we were prepared for a way different type of trial. Um, and I was absolutely blown away that they did not bring another corporate representative or even that guy back. And they told us he was on vacation. And I'm like, are, are you kidding me? Like I would have gone there myself, like hiked up whatever mountain, got the man back and brought him into trial. You know what yeah. I mean? It would, I mean, I would have picked every excuse. I would have gone, had a knee surgery and told the judge, we can't do it. You know, like what <laughs> I, you know, I was blown away, but you know, it's one of those things though, too, that, you know, how many times do we go into depositions and we're like, oh, I'm just going to come in here and I'm going to get this, that, and the other, and then I'm going to get out of here. You know, I, I got other things I need to do today. 
you know, and it's whatever. I'll see him a trial and figure it out then. Well, thank God for whatever reason, the day that I went into that PMK deposition, I was, I knew that I was going to need this one to file the case against them and two to pass a summary judgment. And so luckily for me and for Tobin and I and our client, you know, I, I knew exactly what elements I needed to hit. I knew what I needed him to say. And he said it. And, you know, I, I was, I, I, you know, it's, it's one of those nightmares that then when all of a sudden you're like, okay, now I got to go back and play that video deposition. And you're like, oh God, what did I say? What did I do? Did I laugh awkwardly? You know, what? <laughs> yeah. and it's the first witness and the jury is getting to see you like ask these questions. And you're just like, oh my God, you know, was I having a bad day? You know, what was it? And so, you well, know, I, I think, Go ahead. Sorry. I was just going to say, well, I can tell you by reading it, it read very well. I mean, it read just very straightforward and very, you know, you just hit the issues you needed to. And then you were, you were done with them. I mean, it's, it was perfect. Yeah. So wait, so was that depot the same one that you took to find out if you could bring that, if there was a case there against them in the first place? Yeah, that was the same deposition. So that was from the very beginning of the case. And, you know, there's, it's also, you know, and it's something that Tobin and I, I think we both believe in this a lot. And then if I'm wrong, Tobin, correct me, but we typically in these types of depositions, you go in knowing what you need and you go in, you get the quote, you make sure you have the quote, um, you know, and, and you, you, you're very efficient with it. Um, because if you're not, then you don't ever have those good quotes. And it's right. kind of this mush, you know, that you're trying to, you know, oh, we'll see if he meant at this question because this up here said this. And so, I mean, I don't know. To- Tobin takes PMKs all the time because of all the products cases he does. So he's the master of them. I mean, he's the one who knows how to do them the best. The, the only thing I'm really happy about is that it was videotaped because if Taylor and I had to be on the stand and then the audience reading it, it is the most, nothing worse than lawyers reading and answering uh-huh. questions. Yeah. That's my response. Yeah. So thank you for videoing with Taylor. That's my best response. But yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and, and so Tobin's a pro at taking the person most knowledgeable depositions. And I'm a pro at taking the, the mush, mushy depositions that <laughs> yeah, Taylor mentioned. Right. <laughs> I, I go back and I'm like writing my own response to motion for summary judgment. And I'm like, who took this garbage 30 v 6 depo? And it's me. It's always me. <laughs> um, but Taylor, I want to go back to something that you said, which is, because I think part of what makes so is so impressive what you all pulled off is that, you know, you were talking about it from the perspective of the case being easier or cleaner when you're going into Vordire because you don't have issues about how the wreck occurred or the injuries. But the flip side is you've got a lot of this sort of the heat is out of the case. It's like a lot of the stuff people want to talk about or see pictures of or hear about you don't have anymore. So, um, you know, so I just, I, I think that's a challenge that you guys obviously handled well, but I don't think you should sell yourself short because you, you end up not being able to talk about some of the stuff that juries expect to hear. And you're kind of like taking them to law school a little bit. Well, no. And I mean, I think Tobin and I's favorite thing is cross-examination, you know, and it's like, yeah. you know, before we would get up, you would, you could kind of see us like sitting, you know, we're just like ready to go bouncing back and forth, like tapping our feet, like let us out and let us out, you know, because that's the heat. That's the fun. That's the 
stuff that fires jurors up when they're like, no, you're a liar. Like, absolutely not. And here we, I mean, other than the one person that I lost my mind on, but, and it was, you know, such a, such a ridiculous person to lose your mind on them. The life, what she was the medical bills woman. But I mean, other than that, we, it was hard to find the fire. I mean, don't you think Tobin? I thought so. Without question. And yeah, you did lose it. I had to look at Taylor and just give her the, (laughs) she slowed down, but you know what actually made this case much more difficult is we had a client who was horrifically injured. I Mm -hmm. mean, unquestionably, but was so terrible on the stand just because she was so muted emotionally. Yeah. And Taylor was doing everything in her power to fish it out of her to, you know, lead her in certain places without leading her. And our client, who's a wonderful person, couldn't express she was she was so emotionally stunted. She couldn't express the pain. She couldn't express things. I mean, we had to bring her son in. And her son is this big, burly, mean-looking bail bondsman, literally a bail bondsman, who's a great guy, a great guy, and at least had brought some personality to her and was describing how the dog that she sleeps that sleeps with her is depressing her. You know what I mean? It's just like the dog can't handle being around her because she's so depressed. Um, <laughs> and that and that and that was a problem. Is we we were trying to we were trying to be very expeditious for the jury because we told them it would be for the judge for the court. Um, but you're right. When you lose the heat of the of the liability fight and then on damages, you know you're you're hoping for that person to flourish in a way that really expresses what that means to them in their future, and they don't. It's really hard. That became very very challenging, frankly. I mean, Taylor did the absolute best job she could do, but we were sitting there after the day and we're like, "Whoa, that was tough." Because now what, right? Yeah, and that was. I think she was honestly one of the hardest witnesses we had, and it was breaking my heart because. I mean, we, Tobin and I know her. I mean, we've spent time with her. We love her. We love her and her son. I mean, she is just this unbelievable, amazing woman. <clears throat> and it would be like, you know, okay, you know, I was trying to get her to talk about how her kids moved back in to help her. And I'm like, do you like having your kids home? Yeah. Okay. Like, <laughs> yeah. you know, like, yeah. You know, and it's, so it was, it was interesting. It was interesting. And it's like, I knew she had a personality back there, but it was just too, it was, everything was just so tough, you know, and it was exhausting. And so it's like, you know, that was, it made things, made things a little difficult for sure. Yeah. I feel like we've talked about Steve, you've got, you've, it feels like they only go two ways. You've either got the client that is like, just like really lights up on the stand. But like when you're talking to them, it's like pulling teeth, trying to get them to talk about this stuff. Or they're so good at talking about this stuff to you, you know, one-on-one on the phone or whatever. And then they get on the stand and, or in their yeah. deposition. And you're like, where, where were all those, where is it all? <laughs> what happened yeah, yeah. to you? So Yvonne, the internet is getting more and more crowded, especially ever since the pandemic. And it's getting harder and harder to get noticed online. And you can have all the great verdicts in the world, but if nobody knows about them, then they're not gonna come and hire your law firm. So you need to find a company like Digital Law Marketing. That's right. It turns out that what you put on the internet is no good if people can't find it. And Steve, we've talked about this, but now that I finally know what SEO is, which is 
is search engine optimization. It's really important that your firm's site is is maximizing the hits that it's going to get. And something that digital law marketing is doing that's really cool right now is they're offering free SEO audits uh, for law firm campaigns. So that's something our listeners should take advantage of. Yeah, because it's hard to get around the internet and know how to make yourself visible without having somebody help you. And they are the experts in this. And not only will they help you design your website if you need to, they'll do your content marketing, they'll do your search engine optimization, as Yvonne just said, they'll do your pay-per-click marketing, social media marketing, and they also will offer full management on Google's new local service ads, which we just learned about and are trying to get into, but it's another way that you can put yourself out there and get people to know who you are. And digital law marketing is great at it. Exactly. And, you know, one of the things I think is cool is that you work with them and they really make you feel like they know your firm and they know you and that they help you with your web presence so that it feels individual. It doesn't feel cookie yeah. cutter. It feels like they know the people at your firm and they get what you're trying to accomplish. Yeah, it's not like they already have a website done and just give you one that's already been done. But they will spend time with you, get to know your personality, put your personality into the website and you should go visit them at digitallawmarketing.com. That's digitallawmarketing.com. Tell them, tell them we sent you. We all, uh, you know, love a good cross-examination. When you feel cross-exam going good, I mean, for a lawyer, there's very few feelings that are better for you. Uh, direct exam is difficult and, and um, you know, it's, it's a lot more technically challenging and to get, you know, your, your witnesses to really tell the story, um, you know, is, is hard to do. And, um, and, and, you know, and, and, you know, uh, it's it's just one of those things and not every and not every witness is going to be great at it um it's just it's just one of those things but it, it is something that, that takes a lot of um a lot of time and effort that uh that they're they can just be very hard to do yeah i mean they're boring right right That's yeah. the other, you know where when you're on direct examination examination because you're you know your main goal is to make sure that you hit all the elements that you need to hit so then all of a sudden you're not on like a JNOV or, you know, whatever it is and your case is getting dismissed. So you're looking there going, okay, were the bills reasonable and necessary? It's like, oh God, who cares? The jury doesn't know what that means anyway, you know? And it's, so that stuff can get kind of boring on some of that. So it's, I don't know, it's hard. And then the second that you try to put a little fun or spunk, if you can, you know, then you get the objection because now you've led them or, you know, whatever it may be. So it's, you know, it's, it's hard to kind of keep that energy going. I, I am interested to hear about the uh, medical bills person you lost your mind on. Is this somebody who uh, who um, uh, was basically coming in to say that the medical bills were not reasonable and they were too much? <sighs> I hate, I mean, which, you know, we've had a number There's of like those a, witnesses show up and I, I can't, I mean, yeah, I, I've lost my mind on a couple. You of gotta, them. you gotta be like, that's just I, like, I feel like I might. I, those people might make me even madder than like insurance adjusters. Like well, Tobin literally looked at me at one point and gave me the, Hey tiger, you need to take it back a notch because right. I was just so pissed off because the woman went to Kaiser. All of her bills were paid by Kaiser. This wasn't something where we had some lien from some doctor that no insurance had paid for. I mean, it's, you know, yeah. it was like, what are we arguing about? And it's, you know, they get into that cash stuff that they claim is not cash. 
So, you know, it's like, oh, if I called up, you know, the hospital and said, I'd like to pay for my back surgery in cash. Okay, great. That's going to be $85,000 as opposed to the, you know, $110,000 for your insurance. Okay. Well, I don't have $85,000 sitting in my checking account, you know, and I'm sure our client doesn't either. And stuff like that just always makes me so mad. And so, and the problem is too, is they use all this technical terminology, you know, and, and it's just, they're trying to confuse the jury. And to be honest, like it, Tobin and I had a long conversation after this and he, and he, he pointed out to me a lot of really good points of as pissed off as I was, if you're that mad, you're not making your points, you know? And it's, right. um, and that was something that I was just so furious and I was losing it. And I think at some point, like, you know, there was some objection or something. I think I even like quipped back, like you're darn right. It was argumentative. You know what I mean? Like where you're just kind of like, <laughs> all right, like, you know, simmer down. Like, we'll right, right. <laughs> you know, like, well, you know, it's, it's, so, you know, it's actually something I've thought about a lot because I, I've had these witnesses show up in a lot of my cases lately. I've never actually had one in court and I've always wondered how well they do in court because it's kind of like, what you're saying, you know, that, you know, you're, you're going in this emergency situation where you don't have a choice, you know, basically which, you know, hospital you're going to, which, you know, doctor's going to treat you. And yet you're supposed to take the time to say, Hey, how much you guys charge me for this? Can we negotiate? Can we get a cash value of that? You know, I mean, what, at what point do you do that when they're trying to save your life? Well, you don't, but here's, here's the critical element is that Taylor, after getting heated, still made the most important point, which she had busted this person who basically was saying, you could go get these services for 20 cents on the dollar. And so I put that into the, our care plan, but our client had had a subsequent surgery since she did her, since this woman, this expert had done her workup. And we proved that that additional surgery wasn't 20 cents on the dollar. In fact, it was 90 cents on the dollar of what was actually charged. So Taylor was able to cross-examine her and be like, you're only giving her 20 cents on the dollar of your plan, but she just had the surgery and it was 90 cents on the dollar. And it was very, it was very, very effective. But what made it most effective is Taylor took control back of that scenario and just right. made that one little point, which we all, all know is, you know, cross-examination, like, you know, our senior partners, Brown, Green, and Bruce Burlett, they said, it's not about winning. It's just about scuffing up their shoes a little bit, right? It's about just, you know, taking a little shine off there. So you remind the jury, hey, look, they're not so sweet. They're not so great. And here's a one little zinger that you can then use in closing you can point back to and be like, you don't have to believe anything that person says. Yeah. So what Taylor was politely not telling us, she did crush this person. And she did it by <laughs> using this really important piece, of, this important piece of evidence, which took away and was ultimately really useful for closing to say, hey, look, don't you, you don't have to believe anything they said you because she just told you it was only going to be $100 for this thing that we had done after the fact. And it was, you know, $700. So right. it was very, very effective. But again, it's just take a little shine off their shoes, you know? Yeah. yeah. I like, I like that. Well, so talk a little bit about, I mean, we, we talked about the challenges, you know, we talked about the medical bills now and we, we talked a little bit about the challenges in getting your client to really open up. And, you know, it sounds like she wasn't the type, I think you said this at some point, um, 
in front of the jury. I can't remember when it was, but that she's really, you know, she wasn't a complainer. She was one of these people who who wasn't going to talk about all the bad stuff that happened to her and um, who the jury might look at and be like, OK, she's recovered well or, or she looks like she's doing OK. So talk a little bit about and obviously I don't know if that's true. I, I haven't seen her, but talk a little bit about what her injuries really were, what she was really dealing with and how you got the jury to to um, understand that when you had a client that was not going to be great talking about it. I don't know. It's, I think Tobin brought that up on closing because we were talking about how, how are we going to make her relatable? How, how are we going to make the jury care? And, you know, they saw her every day you know, she's kind of a deadpan faced woman, you know, and it's, it's, you either have, and this is like what you guys said before, you either have the person that's on the stand sobbing and crying and they can't even get it out. And the jury's like, I don't believe this, you know, whatever it is, you know, it's, so we had the kind of the opposite side of that coin. And so <clears throat> I think it was Tobin in closing and he did a good job about it is to be like, look, like she's not up here crying and whining. Like, she went back to work like, you know, the woman should not have been driving. And she went back to work because that is that was her identity of. And she drove, I think, what was it like an hour and a half each way to work? It was something crazy. And so Tobin kind of took that work ethic and that, you know, determination to show this is what she was like before. I mean, she was driving so that she could go to work and now as her son said, she's sitting in the bed with her dog, making her dog depressed, you know? So it's like, he was able to take it in closing and kind of reframe it, you know, I think to make it more relatable. Well, I think Taylor Taylor too, I think the other important thing is that because we knew that we had a client that was, you know, very withdrawn that what we did is we used our physiatrist so we had this really great physiatrist expert taylor had her on the stand she's very engaging and she was able to really work through all the different injuries from head to toe which were literally head to toe from neurological all the way down to crush injuries you know in the lower parts of her legs and that you know you're teaching medicine we all know that's you know a little, a little more entertaining than just hearing somebody blabber on but because of this expert was a little more dynamic, we were able to use her to basically be the voice of our client in a way that we couldn't have with our client, right? And so it became more effective and a little more concise. And um, that's really the only option we had because we, we, were, we couldn't draw that out of the client. So we had to rely upon the experts to fill in that part that we couldn't do with her. Yeah. Well, and we've talked about, I mean, I know a lot of our guests on the show have felt like a lot of times it is more effective to have somebody else talk about the changes in someone or to talk about their injuries versus somebody talking about, about it themselves. But it just can be a challenge when you've got a client who, who doesn't open up, who, who really doesn't want to look weak or, or share weakness or that sort of thing. And, you know, so much can, it's so great when you have a good physiatrist or when you have a really good, um, you know, physician who's also, you know, has some personality up there and has a little bit of it, of, of an advocate for their patient. Cause it's just, that makes such a huge difference, but I feel like it's so 
hard to find. <laughs> yeah, no, it, it really is. Cause a lot of times, you know, they just want to get stuck in the science and you're like, these people don't care. They lost you back on neurotron or whatever it was, right. you know, it's like, the, <laughs> so finding those experts that can be relatable and actually have a conversation with you is huge. And, you know, I totally agree with what you're talking about. I mean, normally, you know, you're looking for stories. You're looking for other people to get up on the stand and show stories about what they used to do and then what they don't do now and how that's affected them. And that's why, you know, we used her son for that, to talk about that, like the things that she used to do and couldn't do to try to bring it to life a little bit more. And, you know, we would have probably, you know, tried to use a couple other people too, but because our case got so truncated with our number of kind of liability witnesses on both sides, we, we kind of had to be careful because we couldn't, you know, have three witnesses on liability and then all of a sudden have 10 witnesses mm -hmm. on telling stories about how she was damaged, mm -hmm. you know? So we had to kind of be strategic about that at the same time, because otherwise they would just think we're trying to gild the lily and like, you know, trying to get more than we're due. So I don't know. I think, I mean, and I'm sure all your people talk about this. I mean, trial is all about just sitting in it and trying to figure out, you know, what's the jury feeling? What can I do that won't piss them off? What can I do to make my point? How far can I push this? You know, are they tired? Are they exhausted? Are they done? You know, am I going to, what's, what's the benefit analysis is adding this extra witness going to do me more harm than good or more good than harm, you know? So it's, it was our whole trial was a balancing act on that. And a lot of it was because <clears throat> of the defense and what they decided to do last minute on all of a sudden not bringing someone or changing something around that it made Tobin and I have to really sit down and talk about strategy on that. Yeah, that's a great point. I wouldn't, I, I think you're, I'm always struggling with are we doing enough on damages? Are we doing too much on damages? But I, I, I didn't think about in reading through your transcript and your materials that if, if they come in and then suddenly your liability case is a lot um, smaller than you think it's going to be, then yeah, the, then it matters even more because you don't want to be sort of out of proportion or whatever. Although I have to say that like, I keep laughing because it's just so sad and I don't know what else to do, but I do find just the idea of she was so depressed that she was making the dog depressed, like very effective. Like that's one of the saddest things I've ever heard. Oh yeah. No, it was, that's, I mean, that's when you're always talking about stories and it's like, you know, we've all heard the lawyers that, you know, get the most amazing story where it's someone's favorite song and they're able to play their favorite song during closing and everyone's weeping and crying. I swear I never get those. Like that's never the people that I have, you know? And so you're just trying to find something, you know? And when her son said that both Tobin and I are like, uh, this is, this is exactly what we're talking about because most jurors have a dog or a cat or, or something that they can kind of relate to and, you know, and, and see how that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so, so we talked about this a little bit um, at the, at the beginning, but so one of the things that I was reading, I can't remember if it was in the JNOV briefing um, or if it was in the transcript, but so it sounded like this guy, this employee um, wasn't working for the company anymore at, at some point, I don't know if it was the time you deposed him or the time of trial, but so 
What was it? What was going on there? Well, Taylor deposed him, and Taylor Craig. He, I think he'd already stopped working for Converge One, right? I think at the time I deposed him, I think he was done because it was you that then yeah. made the connection about why he was done. You did that, which was you can explain that. I won't take the thunder. It was amazing. No, so at, so at trial, I took you know it's always those calculated risks, and so. Um, there's some questions where there's really no bad answer. And so I, we, the defense was making this huge issue that over 11th month period, he had barely used his car, right? Three or four times. Right. That's what the whole case is about. But we were able to show, look, he got injured four months right. after he started. He had used it three or four times at that point. So the remaining period of time were unused. So I kind of just took a shot in trial it doesn't sound like anything amazing but i asked him you know well i sort of just was like well how badly injured were you and he starts telling me how badly injured he was and then you know well what happened to you well i was in the hospital for three weeks and this and this and then i worked from home and then we it came out which we know that he basically had asked to work from home didn't want to go back to driving the this employer was like no you have to come back and work and, it, and there was this sort of wash over the courtroom where even the defense lawyer was like, well, that was sort of prejudicial because you're, you know, you're getting into this stuff about why he didn't file workers' comp or blah. We're like, no, no, no. It's as simple as, you know, this guy was so badly hurt too that he couldn't go to work, he couldn't drive, and ultimately is important for our timeline of events, but um, but also helped us during the case because it made Converge One look even less sympathetic. They have a guy right. that gets hurt, they basically hang him out to dry, and then you know. They don't, they don't even have the decency to bring a person into the jury. So that's something that we sort of tapped in at the end there. It's like, this is this cycle is consistent for this company, right? It's from start to finish. Um, and so, yeah, it was, sort of, it was a very unique set of circumstances. But yeah, when we, when we got, you know, we didn't know what was going to happen at trial because, um, you know, I, I don't even think the defense lawyer talked to him, frankly, before they started, to be honest with you. So I don't, I mean, it was interesting. But Yeah, you know, I, I mean, I was going to say the huge thing too that, you know, it made that extra link when Tobin got him to say that the reason why, you know, I no longer worked there was because I didn't want to do the drive anymore. I didn't want to drive. And so their whole argument was that he never needed to use his car for work and that he could just sit in a location and do all this remote access IT work. Well, they, I mean, his testimony completely refutes that yeah. because now he's saying, okay, well, I just don't want to sit in an office. I want to sit in my home. And they're like, no, you can't do that. You got to be able to drive. So right, right then and there, it, you know, and that was Tobin kind of taking a risk, you know, um, at trial. But again, it was a calculated risk because what's the worst he would have said? Like, I was just fed up with the company and I, you know, I just didn't feel like working for them anymore. Well, okay. Like, you know, it, 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 again, you go back into that analysis of risk benefit and it was a calculated risk and it just, thank God he took it because it helped put the nail in the coffin a little bit more on this issue. Yeah, exactly. Well, and so remind me, so what was the deal? Were they arguing that that he didn't file a workers' comp case for his injuries, and so he obviously wasn't in the scope of his employment when when everything happened. Yeah, and, 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 I, and did the I, jury hear that? I was wondering about that because I was wondering how is that relevant. I mean, usually that's stuff that never comes up during trial, but um, 
Yeah, talk about the workers' comp issue a little bit. Well, they they argued that in closing. So they got up and yeah. they said, well, you know, of course it wasn't in course and scope because he didn't file workers' comp. And then I just used that in rebuttal. I'm like, thank you. And I basically told the jury, you know why he didn't file workers' comp? Because his employer didn't tell him he was in course and scope. And that's right. exactly why we're here. It's the same issue. And so, you know, they, you know, it's again, one of those things where we could have objective, but it's, you know, I, I don't know what's happened, but in the last, especially the last decade, I found that those little things you think are going to hurt, you flip them around on people end up being your best sword. And so them thinking they're being cute by walking in there and trying to muddy this water ends up coming back to bite them. And frankly, it was really useful for us to be like, of course, that's exactly why we're here. That's exactly what this last few years have been about because they're taking zero responsibility. They don't even tell their own guy, you know, that he could have done this. Right. So, right. you know, it's, it was one of those little gifts. So you just take it. Yeah. So what was the, um, I meant to ask, and you got to talk to the jury after, um, what was the guy, like the employee himself? What was he like? Like, was he, was he likable? Did they like him? Was he just kind of okay? Just what was his like vibe as a witness? No, he was amazing. I mean, he just was very matter of fact, just, I was an IT guy. I mean, you know, he, he wasn't emotional either way. He wasn't combative. He wasn't super helpful. I mean, he was just dead honest, just like I'm here. I feel horrible about it. I myself got completely wrecked because of it too. You know? So he was, I mean, I'm not sure you could find anyone that was more credible than him. I, I mean, he's probably one of the most credible witnesses I've ever seen on the stand. Yeah, because that, I mean, I feel like that has to help then with what Tobin brings out from him about, um, you know, about about why he's not working anymore. You know, you hear like whether he's kind of likable or the jury likes him or feels sorry for him or not, you know, you kind of hear that he doesn't want to come in the office anymore after this whole thing. He doesn't want to be be driving for whatever reason. I think anybody can relate to that. Um, and, you know, then he's not working for them anymore. I, I, that does seem like a gift. It seems like it'd be bad. I'd probably be freaking out inside when they started bringing up workers comp. But if I could like take a step back, um, you, you feel like, Oh, so they're, they're not trying to, they're trying not to pay him or her. <laughs> right. Right. Yeah. Yeah. They don't want to take responsibility from anybody. Yeah. yeah. And I think that's, I think what you just mentioned is one of the hardest things to do in trial. You've got, so many things flying at you. You've got kind of a roadmap in your brain of how this is supposed to go. You know the rules of evidence. And so when someone colors outside the lines, it's, okay, do I freak out? Do I object? Do I move for mistrial? Do I make a stink out of this? You know, what do I do? And being able to do all those calculations in your brain in that, you know, whatever 30 seconds that you have, I think that's what makes trial so exciting and so terrifying at the same time, you know, because we could have made a total stink out of that and been like workers comp, like you're not supposed to talk about insurance, even though we say insurance in our jury instructions, don't okay. think about insurance, <laughs> you know, it's like, yeah. you know, so it's like, you're not supposed to be talking about these things. So, 
you know, do you then get an instruction from the judge? What good does that do you? But instead, like, you know, Tobin took it around and was like, okay, well, let me just use it. to. They brought it up. So now I'm going to use it to fire back. And so, you know, it's making those calculations during trial as I think what kind of separates the great from, you know, the, the ordinary, so to speak. Yeah. So I didn't see, um, I know that in, in California, you only need nine out of 12 to win. What was the breakdown of the jury since they all at the beginning, uh, didn't at least didn't like your case at the beginning. Tobin, do you remember, was it 10 to two? Yeah, I think it was 10 to two and we kind of already knew two were not going to be with us no matter what, you know, there's just, right. you, you just write those off. So, um, yeah, I think it was 10 to two across the board, maybe nine to three on damages. I think there were some that wanted to actually give a lot more damages. Some, some, even though they said they would follow the law, they still didn't like the law that much. <laughs> they, right. they told us that. Yeah. So that sort of hindered where we, where we maybe could have gone, but, um, I, I think damages were a little more split, but on liability, I'm pretty sure it was 10 too. I, so in reading the transcript, I saw that, uh, that they had, the jury had several quest, questions, um, while you were waiting for them to come back. And I'm just wondering what was going, if you remember what was going through your mind when they were coming back with these questions, cause I, you can't read anything into them, but you can't help but not read anything into them. And I just always find them to be torture. Um, what was going through my mind was, can we please go to the convenience store, bottle, buy a bottle of tequila, <laughs> let's get in the car and drive to Palm Springs and no one ever talked to me again. Right. <laughs> Literally, like we, that's exactly what was going through my brain. Like, I hate this job. I'm never doing it again. I'm out of here. <laughs> like, you know, I've been in a hotel for two weeks. Like I'm done. Like I'm, yeah. <laughs> forget it. That was going yeah. through my brain. And, and, and let me let me interject. Taylor, Taylor and I tried a case. What a year before that, Taylor? Where I think so. we, had, we had a jury out for five five days, and we're like, all right. I <laughs> they were on question two. We're like, you gotta be kidding me now. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> oh my god, it's just the worst. Even reading the transcript, knowing what I already knew what happened, it still made me nervous. <laughs> just oh, reading it, it it's the worst and then it's like you sit there and you try to read things into it and to be honest like you never know no if it's just one rando in the back yeah. that won't let something right. go yeah. you know and then it's you're reading it some way and it's completely opposite of what they're in you know what they were thinking and it's you know you get the question on damages and you're like Okay, they made it through liability, but then it's like, no, 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 they got hung up. They already skipped and went ahead and they weren't supposed to. And now they came back. It's just, yeah. it is the worst mind <laughs> torture yeah. going through that. Yeah, I, I stopped a long time ago trying to read into jury questions because uh, I, I agree with you, Taylor. Usually it's just one juror who has this one question and they just really want this one question answered. They don't care what else is going on. So everybody's like, all right, send the question out. Let's see what, what they say. Yeah, but uh, here's the thing. Like people say that don't you can't read into it. And I'm like, OK, but like you just do like <laughs> I I, I think I I don't know if I've told this story before, but uh, uh, I've tried a case. um, Yeah, he's actually here in Chatham County. And um, we we had asked for a few million dollars. And I was sitting at council table with my co-counsel, Christy Davies, who's uh, who's 
uh, now a stay-at-home mom. Um, but she, and I could I heard somebody scream at the top of their lungs. You know, I don't care what they say. I'm not giving them more than a hundred thousand dollars. And so I leaned over to Christy and I said, <laughs> "We might be getting a hundred thousand dollar verdict." You know, and and they came out with a multi-million dollar award, which was great. Uh, and and what we had learned was is that it was with regard to one claim he wasn't going to give more than one hundred thousand dollars. And so you know, but it, it it was you know just hearing that you know hearing somebody yell that, and I don't know if the defense heard it or not, but I was like, once I heard that, I was like, oh, they're not buying our case. Oh, God. That, that's, that sounds like a tequila moment. Yeah. And it's, I mean, look, how many times do you sit there and you're like, okay, the jurors, they're laughing. Like they went to lunch and they're happy and they're smiling. So, okay. That means they like our case. And it's like, I remember, um, cause just so that everyone knows I was with green burlette at the time that we tried this. this is why Tobin and I tried it together. And it was, I remember we were in that um, ski case that I had with Bruce way back in the day. And, you know, the jurors are laughing, they're winking at us, like, and we're sitting there going, yeah, 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 this is so good, so good. They come out, I think we got like a 21 or $22 million verdict on it. And I'm, you know, your, your pants drop, you're like, this is insane, this is amazing. And then they get to the comparative fault. And they take that knife and they shove it in your chest and say that your client is 82% at fault. And you're like, what? You were winking at me. You were enjoying going to and from lunch. And so you, I know that we all say you can't read anything into it, but we all lie if we say that we don't, you know, it's, right, it's right. so crazy. Oh, oh, that's rough. That's rough. That that also makes me think, I, I know I have told this story before, Steve, but the after the Simmons case, it was a med mal case. So it was after we already had a verdict and it was good. But we a, a juror after everything is done came up to me and was like, can I ask you a question? And I was like, sure. And I was like, she's going to ask me about like, you know, just like my style or how she can be more like me, <laughs> you know, le like legally thinking. And she's like, um, she asked me why I wore flats all the time. <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, oh, so it wasn't. It wasn't, you weren't impressed by my uh, legal work, huh? It was just why I won't wear heels. <laughs> Tobin, was it that, was it this same trial, this Flores trial that the jurors kind of mentioned our two little quirks or whatever it was? Or is that the other one? Yes, it was this one. Oh, what yeah. were they? Hey, what were the quirks? One. Yeah, we got to know now. I think mine was they, they said I touched my nose a lot. And I think it was because it was freezing in the courtroom. And so, you know, I'm always terrified, you know, that I've got some like booger hanging out of my nose and the jury's <laughs> going to be staring at that the whole time. So I think that's what they said about me. Yeah. You Remember just got touching your nose and sniffling. Yeah. Mine was that when I was doing closing my, she's like, your hands were shaking. You were picking up water. I'm like, yeah, cause I had like 20 cups of coffee. That's why <laughs> she's like, you haven't done it. You haven't done this very much. I'm like, just a couple of times. Yeah, I'm sorry. But she, they thought I was so nervous. I'm like, no, I wasn't. I just was a little too jacked up on coffee. Sorry. <laughs> I, I, so Yvonne, it reminds me, I always give uh, Jeff, our partner, a hard time because he, he, I only see him ever do this whenever he's giving a closing argument to a jury, but he, it's the only time he puts his hand in his outside pocket of his jacket and kind of put, leaves it there, kind of almost Napoleon-like or something. Yeah, it's like, <laughs> I'm, like, I'm like, Jeff, what are you doing with your hand there? He's like, it's a good place to go, I guess. <laughs> so, so Steve, you got to sew that pocket closed next time. Just watch right. him do this for like, you know. Yeah, yeah that's right. 
this uh, pocket for five minutes. <laughs> right, that's what right. that's what I would do. I'm not recommending. <laughs> no, it just that's kills right. me that like you're sitting there, you're you know just working your tail off for weeks on end. You're exhausted, and you think you're making all these great points, and there's the jury like. Why are you wearing flats? Right. Yeah. Oh yeah. This was this was also the same one where and, and to be fair, we didn't we had co-counsel in this case. And so I I really didn't do a lot in front of the jury. But the another one of the jurors said to me right after the flats comment, um, she was like, I mean, wow, you guys work hard, work hard. She was like, You were there almost the whole time. I was like, excuse me? Like I was there all the time. (laughs) She was like, you were there almost every day. I was like, I know it's whatever. It's just, it's so all that stuff always makes me laugh. It just shows that you never know what's going to happen. Yeah. That's sorry. I interrupted you. The jurors. Well, you, I, you were here, you were here almost every day too. I remember. (laughs) That's right. That's right. Yeah. Just let them know. Yeah. Almost. Yeah. uh, Yeah. Well, Taylor and Tobin, this has been just a really great uh, interview, and we really appreciate you spending time with us. Is there anything that uh, we haven't talked about the Flores versus Converge One uh, Inc. case uh, that resulted in a $2.6 million verdict that you want to make sure our listeners have heard about? I mean, I think we've pretty much covered it all. I mean, the only thing I can think of, you know, that was something that I learned and that I try to do all the time is always brush up kind of on some of the rules before, you know, you're going into trial again, especially if it's been a little bit, for example, you know, how many challenges you get, how many challenges you get to alternates, things like that. Cause we had that issue in this case where the court wasn't going to give us the right amount of challenges and thank goodness for some reason, you know, I had made sure I knew exactly what the code section was, you know, and all that, because if you're going to challenge the judge on that, you better come out firing exactly what the code section and not be flipping through stuff. Um, So things like that. I mean, I think we all have kind of our canned trial briefs, like our motions where, you know, they're biased on their challenges, you know, we call them Wheeler motions, but you know, whatever they may be kind of always having those canned documents with you. Cause I think you don't have, no one has the mental bandwidth to have to remember that type of stuff when you're trying to focus specifically on your case. So that's kind of my like one piece of advice is just kind of have your little trial binder that just goes with you every single time. Yeah. 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 Yeah, we 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 do the same. We have the you know our, our our binders with all the different cases on all the different random subjects that always come up during trial, and you know so that we can go to it quickly and say you know here's the case on that you know. But, and then uh, yeah. and then you need the one that you yeah don't. that you didn't bring. You forgot to bring yeah. it that one day, yeah. and and then that's when you need. That's, it. that's the one exactly you need. Right. Yeah. Um, well, uh, I mean, this has been fantastic. Let me remind everybody, we've been talking to Taylor Rayfield and Tobin Lanzetta. Uh, if you want to look up Taylor, you can go to manlystewart.com. That's M-A-N-L-Y Stewart, uh, S-T-E-W-A-R-T.com. And if you want to look up Tobin Lanzetta, you can go to G-B-W, G is, uh, boy, B is in boy, so G-B-W.law. So, uh, Taylor and Tobin, uh, thank you so much for talking to us about the uh, Flores versus Converge One case. Um, we really appreciate it. Thank you for having us. Thank you. Appreciate it. Ladies and gentlemen of the jury, have you reached a verdict? 
Thank you for listening to the Great Trials Podcast. You can visit us online at greattrialspodcast.com. We realize in the show that sometimes we use terminology that not everybody would be familiar with or that uh, we haven't uh, always explained every part of the jury trial process. So we've done two special shows, one on legal terminology, and Yvonne, that's going to be hopefully not that boring. Uh, we, we, we've uh, included a number of people in that so that uh, we can make that more entertaining and a show on the jury trial process. And we've also put uh, links to uh, those episodes on our greattrialspodcast.com, as well as a uh, glossary of the legal terminology on the uh, website. Yeah, so check those out. If you have a trial you would like to be featured on the Great Trials podcast, or if you're a trial lawyer and you want to be on the show, or if you're just a person who has something that you want to say to us, please email us at info at greattrialspodcast.com. Note if you have something mean to say, we don't have email. Right, exactly. <laughs> we only need a positive commentary. Yeah, we're fragile. Yeah. Um, you can also rate or review us uh, wherever you get your podcasts, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, Google Play, or wherever. Again, if you have something mean to say, um, our podcast is not available for review. We, we also want to thank uh, the people behind the scenes. Uh, one is Taras Misher, who is our uh, uh, podcast extraordinaire. Uh, he is from Podcast on the Go. And Allison Hirsch uh, from Capricorn Communications. She is a magician when it comes to putting these shows together and getting them scheduled. And this has been the Great Trials Podcast, and we appreciate your time and hope you'll listen again. Thank you for listening.